and welcome back to the Very Hairy Podcast. This is a very special episode because it's a double episode, and that means we are going to be reading two chapters today. So, let's get started. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets by J.K. Rowling. Read to you by Callan. Chapter 12, The Polyjuice Potion. They stepped off the stone staircase at the top, and Professor McGonagall tapped on the door. It opened silently when they entered. Professor McGonagall told Harry to wait and left him there, and left him there, alone. Harry looked around. One thing was certain. Of all the teachers' offices Harry had visited, uh, Harry had visited so far this year, Dumbledore's was by far the most interesting. If he hadn't been scared out of his wits that he was about to be thrown out of the school, he would have been very pleased to have a chance to look around it. It was a large and beautiful circular room of a funny, full of funny little noises. A number of curious silver instruments stood on, on spindle-legged tables, worrying and admitting little puffs of smoke. The walls were covered with portraits of old headmasters and headmistresses, all of whom were snoozing gently in their frames. There was also an enormous claw-footed desk, and sitting on a shelf behind it, a a shabby, tattered wizard's hat. The sorting hat. Harry hesitated. He cast a very... He he cast a war wary eye around sleeping witches and wizards on the wall. Surely it couldn't hurt if he took the hat down and tried on again, just to see. Just to make sure it had put him in the right house. He walked quietly around the desk, lifted the hat from the shelf, and lowered it slowly onto his head. It was much too large and slipped down over his eyes, just as it had the last time he'd put it on. Harry stared stared at the black inside of the hat, want waiting. Then a small voice said in his ear, Be in your bonnet, Harry Potter. Uh, yes, Harry muttered. Uh, sorry to bother you. I wanted to ask. You've been wondering whether I put you in the right house, said the hat smartly. Yes, you are particularly difficult to please, but I stand by what I said before. Harry's heart leapt. You would have done, you would have done well in Slytherin. Harry's stomach plummeted. He grabbed the point of the hat and pulled it off. It hung limply in his hand, grubby and faded. Harry pushed it back onto its shelf, feeling sick. You're wrong, he said aloud to the still and silent hat. It didn't move. Harry backed away, watching it. Then a strange gagging noise behind him made him wheel around. He wasn't alone after all. Standing on a golden perch behind the door was a descript-looking bird that resembled a half-plucked turkey. Harry stared at it, and the bird looked balefully back Balefully back, making its gagging noise again. 
Harry thought it looked very ill. Its eyes were dull, and even as Harry watched, a couple more feathers fell, fell out of its tail. Harry was just thinking that all he needed, all he needed, was for Dumbledore's pet bird to die while he was alone in the office with it. When the bird burst into flames, Harry yelled. Harry yelled in shock and backed away into the desk. He looked feverishly around in case there was a glass of water somewhere, but he couldn't see one. The bird, meanwhile, had become a fireball and gave one loud shriek. And next second, there was nothing but a smoldering pile of ash on the floor. The door, the office door opened. Dumbledore came in, looking very somber. Professor, Harry gasped. Your bird, I couldn't do anything. He just caught on fire. To Harry's amazement, Dumbledore smiled. About time, about time to, he said. He's been looking dreadful for days. I've been telling him to get a move on. He chuckled at the stunned look, the stunned look on Harry's face. Fogs the phoenix, Harry. Phoenixes burst into flames. It is time for them to die. It. Phoenixes burst into flames when it's time for them to die and are reborn from the ashes. Watch him. Harry looked down. Looked down in time to see a tiny, wrinkled, newborn bird poke its head out of the ashes. It was quite as ugly as the old one. Dumbledore, seating himself behind the desk. What? It's a shame you had to see him on his burning day. Said Dumbledore, seating himself behind the desk. He's really very handsome most of the time. Wonderful. Wonderful red and gold plumage. Fascinating. Fascinating creatures, phoenixes. They can carry immensely heavy loads. Their tears. Their tears have healing powers. And they make highly faithful pets. In the shock of fogs catching on fire, Harry had forgotten what he was there for. But it all came back to him as Dumbledore settled himself in the high chair behind the desk and fixed Harry with a penetrating, penetrating light blue stare. Before Dumbledore could speak another word, before Dumbledore could speak another word, however, the door of the office flew open with an almighty bang and, and Hagrid burst in. A wild look in his eyes. His balaclava perched on top of his shaggy black head. And the dead rooster still swinging from his hand. It wasn't, Har it wasn't Harry, Professor Dumbledore. Harry said Hagrid, ur said Hagrid urgently. I was talking to him seconds before, before that kid was found. He never had time, sir. Dumbledore tried to say something, but Hagrid went ranting on, waving the rooster around in his agonization, sending feathers everywhere. It can't have been him. I swear, I'll swear in front of the Ministry of Magic. If I have to. Hagrid, I... You, you've got the wrong boy, sir. 
I know Harry. I know Harry never. Hagrid, said Dumbledore loudly. I do not think Harry is attacking those people. Oh, said Hagrid, with the rooster falling limply to his head. Right. I'll, I'll wait out. I'll wait outside then, said Master. He stomped out, looking embarrassed. You don't think it's me, Professor? Harry, Harry repeated, hopefully, as Dumbledore brushed the rooster feathers off his desk. No, Harry, I don't. No, Harry, I don't. Said, said Dumbledore, though his face was somber again. But I still want to talk to you. Harry waited nervously while Dumbledore considered him. The tips of his long fingers together. I must ask you, Harry, whether there's anything you'd like to tell me, he said gently. Anything at Harry didn't know what to say. He had a Malfoy shouting, You'll be next, mudblood. An apologies potion shimmering away in Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. And then he thought of the disembodied voice he had heard twice and remembered what Ron had said. Hearing voices no one else can hear isn't a good sign, even in the wizarding world. He thought, too, about what everyone was saying about him in his growing dread that he was somehow that he was somehow connected with Salazar Slytherin. No, said Harry. There isn't anything, Professor. The double attack on Justin and nearly headless Nick turned what had what had hit hero his hero of nervousness into real panic. Curiously, it was nearly headless Nick's fate that seemed to worry people most. What could possibly do that to a ghost? People asked each other. What terrible power could, what terrible power could harm someone who's already dead? There was almost a stampede to book seats on the, the on Hogwarts Express, so that students could go home for Christmas. At this rate, this rate will be. At this rate, we'll be the only ones left. Harry told Ron, hold Harry and Hermione. Us, Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle. What a jolly holiday it's going to be. Crab and Goyle, who always did whatever, who always did whatever Malfoy did, had signed up to stay over for the holidays too. But Harry was glad. But Harry was glad that most people were leaving. He was tired of people skirting around him in the corridors as though he was about to sprout fangs or spit poison, tired of all the muttering and pointing and hissing as he passed. Friend George, however, found all this very funny. They went out of their way, they went out of their way to march ahead of Harry down the corridor shouting, Make way for the heir of Slytherin, seriously evil wizard coming through. Percy was deeply disapproving of this behavior. It's not a laughing matter, he said coldly. Oh, get out of the way, Percy, said Fred. Harry's in a hurry. He hides off to the Chamber of Secrets suit for a cup of tea with his fanged servant, said George shortingly. Tortling, said George shortly. 
Jenny didn't find this amusing, didn't find it amusing either. Oh, don't, she wailed every time Fred asked Harry loudly who he was planning to attack next. Or when George pretended to ward Harry off with a large clove of garlic when they met. Harry didn't mind. It made him feel better that Fred and George at least thought the idea of his being Slytherin's heir was quite ludicrous. But their antics seemed to be a graving Draco Malfoy, who looked increasingly sour each time he saw them. It's because he's bursting to say it's really him, said Ron knowingly. You know how he hates anyone beating him at anything, and you're getting all the credit for his dirty work. Not for long, said Hermione in a satisfied tone. The Polyjuice potion's nearly wet, ready. We'll be getting the truth out of him any day now. At last, the term ended in a silence. In a silence deep as the snow in the grounds descended on the castle. Harry found it peaceful rather than gloomy and enjoyed the fact that he, Hermione, Ron, and the Weasleys, he, Hermione, and the Weasleys had the run for the Gryffindor Tower, which meant they could play Exploding Snap loudly without being, bothering anyone and practice dueling in private. Fred, George, and Ginny had, been chosen, had chosen to stay at school rather than visit Bill in Egypt with Mr. and Mrs. Weasley. Percy... Who disapproved of what of what he termed their childish behavior didn't spend much time in the Gryffindor common room. He had already told them pompously that he was only staying over for Christmas because his, it was his duty as a prefect to, to support the teachers during this troubled time. Christmas morning dawned cold and white. Harry and Ron, the only ones left in their dormitory, were woken very early by Hermione, who burst, who burst in, fully dressed and carrying presents for them both. Wake up, she said loudly, pulling back the curtains of the window. Hermione, you're not supposed to be in here, said Ron, shielding his eyes against the light. Merry Christmas to you, too, said Hermione, said Hermione throwing him his present. I've been nearly up... I've been up for nearly an hour, adding more lace wings to the potion. It's ready. Harry sat up, suddenly wide awake. Are you sure? Are you sure? Positive, said Hermione, shifting Scabbers the rat so that she could sit down on the ends of Ron's on the end of Ron's four poster. If we're going to do it, I say I say it should be tonight. At that moment, Hedwig swooped into the room, carrying a very small package on her back. In her, in her beak, not back. <laughs> Hello, said Harry happily as she landed on his bed. Are you speaking to me again? She nibbled his ear in affection, in, in an infection. No, no, not infection. She nibbled his ear in an infectionate sort of way. It's hard to say. Which was a far better present than the one she had brought him which turned out to be from the Dursleys. They had sent Harry a toothpick and a note telling him to find out whether he'd be able to stay at Hogwarts for the summer vacation, too. The rest of Harry's Christmas presents were far more satisfactory. Hagrid had sent him a large tin of treacle fudge 
which Harry decided to soften by the fire before eating. Ron had given him a book called Flying with the Cannons, a book of interesting facts about his favorite Quidditch team, and Hermione had bought him a luxury eagle feather quill. Harry opened the last present to find a new hand-knitted sweater from Mrs. Weasley and a large plum cake. And a large plum cake. He read her card with a fresh surge of guilt, thinking about Mr. Weasley's car, which hadn't been seen since the crash with the Wampum Willow. In the bout of rule-breaking, he and Ron were planning next. No one, not even someone dreading taking Polly's potion later, could fail to enjoy the Christmas dinner at Hogwarts. The Great Hall looked mag- magnificent. Not only were there dozen, were there a dozen covered, blah, not only were there a dozen frost-covered Christmas trees and six streamers of holly and mistletoe covering cross, crisscrossing the ceiling, but enchanted snow was falling, warm and dry from the ceiling. Dumbledore led them a few, led them in a few of his favorite carols. Hagrid booming more and more loudly with every goblet of eggnog he consumed. Percy, who hadn't noticed that Fred had bewitched his prefect badge to sit, so that it now read Pinhead, kept asking them what they were all sniggering at. Harry didn't even care that Ma- Draco Malfoy was making loud, snide remarks about his new sweater from the Slytherin table. With a bit of luck, Malfoy would be getting his competence in a few hours' time. Harry and Ron had barely finished their third helpings of Christmas pudding when Hermione ushered them out of the hall to finalize their plans for the evening. We still need a bit of people... We still need a bit of people to change them to, said Hermione matter-of-factly, as though she were sending them to the supermarket for laundry detergent. And obviously, it will be best if you can, if you can get something of Crab and Goyles. They're Malfoy's best friends. You can tell them anything. And, we'll also, and we also need to make sure the real Crab and Goyle can't burst in on us while we're interrogating him. I've got it all worked out, she went on smoothly, ignoring Harry and Ron's stupefied faces. She held up two plump chocolate cakes. I filled these with a simple sleeping drop. All you have to do is make sure Crab and Goyle find them. You know how greedy they are. They'll, they're bound to eat them. Once they're asleep, pull out a few of their hairs and hide them in the room closet. Harry and Ron looked incredulously at each other. Hermione, I don't think that could go seriously wrong. But Hermione had already But Hermione had already had a steely glint in her eye, not unlike the one Professor McGonagall sometimes had. The potion will be useless without Crab and Goyle's hair, she said sternly. You want to investigate Malfoy, don't you? Oh all right, all right, said Harry. But what about you? Whose hair are you ripping out? I've already got mine, said Hermione brightly, pulling out a tiny bottle of 
out of her pocket and showing them its little hair inside it. Remember Millicent Bulstrub wrestling with me at the dueling club? She left this on my robes she was trying to when she was trying to strangle me. And she's gone home for Christmas, so I'll just say so I'll just have to tell the Slytherins I've decided to come back. When Hermione had bustled off to check the polyjuice potion again, Ron turned to Harry with a doom laden expression. With a doom laden expression. Have you ever heard of a, of a clan where so many things could go wrong? <clears throat> but to Harry and Ron's utter amazement, stage one, stage one of the operation went just as smoothly as Hermione had said. They lurked, they lurked in the deserted entrance hall after Christmas tea, waiting for Crab and Goyle, who had remained alone in the at the Slytherin table, shovel, shoveling down fourth helpings of Sniffle. Harry had perched the chocolate cakes on the end of the banisters. When they spotted Crab and Goyle coming out of the Great Hall, Harry and Ron hid quickly behind the suit of armor next to the front door. How sick can you get? Ron whispered. Ex... I don't know how to pronounce this word. Ex... Ecstatically? I don't know. That's how I want to say it. Ron whispered ecstatically as Crab, gl as Crab gleefully pointed out the cakes to Goyle and grabbed them. Grinning stupidly, they stuffed the cakes whole in their large mouths. For a moment, both of them chewed greedily, looks of triumph on their faces. Then, without the smaller change of expression, they both kneeled, kneeled over backward onto the floor. By far, the hardest part was hiding them in the closet across the hall. Once they were sa safely stowed among the buckets of mops, Harry yanked out a couple of the bristles that covered Goyle's forehead. Ron pulled out a several of Crab's hairs. And Ron pulled out several of Crab's hairs. They also stole their shoes. Because their own were far too small for Crab and Goyle. For Crab and Goyle-sized feet. Then, still stunned at what they had just done, they sprinted up to Moaning Merle's bathroom. They could hardly see for a thick, for the thick black smoke issuing from the stall in which Hermione was sitting, was stirring the cauldron. Pulling their robes over their faces, Harry and Ron knocked softly on the door. Hermione? They heard a scrape of the lock, and Hermione emerged, shiny-faced and looking anxious. Behind her, they heard a glup, glup of the, of the bubbling glinteous potion. Three glass tumblers stood ready on the toilet seat. Did you get them? Hermione asked breathlessly. Harry showed her Goyle's hair. Good, and I sneaked these pair of robes out of the laundry, Hermione said, holding a, up a small sack. We'll need bigger sizes once you're crabbing Goyle. The three of them stared into the cauldron. Close up, the potion looked thick, looked like thick, dark mud, bubbling sluggishly. I'm sure I've done everything right, said Hermione nervously, rereading the splashed page of Mustip Mustip 
explained to me potions. I don't know how to pronounce this. If any of you do, please tell me how to pronounce the potions, the title of the potions book that Hermione gets. It looks like the it looks like the book Hello. It looks like the book says it should. Once we've drunk it, we'll have exactly an hour before we change back into ourselves. Now what? Ron whispered. We separate it into three glasses and add the hairs. Hermione late Hermione laid a large dollops of the potion into each of the gla of the glasses. Then, her hand trembling, she shook Millicent Bolstrode's hair out of its bottle into the, into the first glass. The potion hissed loudly, like a boiling kettle it frothed madly. A second later, it had turned a sick sort of yellow. Earned the essence of Millicent Bolstrode, said Ron, eyeing it with loathing, but it tastes disgusting. As your son, said Hermione. Harry wrapped Goyle's hair into the, into the middle glass, and Ron put Crab's hair into the last one. Both glasses hissed and frothed. Goyle's turned into a khaki color, into a color. Goyle's turned into a khaki color of booger. Crab's a dark, murky brown. Hang on, said Harry as Ron and Hermione reached out for their reached out for the glasses. We better not all drink them in here. Once we turn into Crab and Goyle, we won't fit. And Millicent Bolstrode is no pixie. Good thinking, said Ron, unlocking the door. We'll take separate stalls. Careful not to spill a drop of his potion, Harry slipped ready into the middle stall. Ready, he called. Ready, came Ron and Hermione's voices. One, two, three. Pinching his nose, Harry drank the potion down into large, into two large gulps. It taste, tasted like overcooked cabbage. Immediately, his insides started writhing as though he just swallowed live snakes. Doubled up, he wondered whether he was... He wondered whether he was... Whether he was... Wait, what? Immediately, his insides started writhing as though he had just swallowed snakes. Doubled up, he wondered whether he was going to be sick. Then a burning sensation spread rapidly from his stomach to the very ends of his fingers and toes. Next, bringing him gaping, gasping to all fours, came a horrible melting feeling as the, as the skin all over his body bubbled like hot wax. And before his eyes, his hands began to grow. The fingers thickened, the nails broadened, the knuckles were bulging like bolts. His shoulders stretched painfully, and a prickling, and a prickling on his forehead told him that his hair was creeping down toward, was creeping down toward his eyebrows. His ropes ripped at his chest as he expanded like a barrel, bursting its, 
bursting its hoops. His feet were agony and his shoes four sizes too small. As suddenly as it had started, everything stopped. Harry lay face down on the stone cold floor, listening to Myrtle listening to Myrtle gurgling moriously in the to- in the end toilet. With the difficulty, he kicked off his shoes and stood up. So this is what it felt like being oil. His large hand trembling, he pulled off his old robes, which were hanging a foot above his ankles, pulled on the spare ones and laced up Goyle's boot-like shoes. He reached up the he reached up the brush's hair out of his eyes, and met only a short growth growth of wiry bristles, low on his forehead. Then he realized that his glasses were clouding his eyes because Goyle obviously didn't need them. He took them off and called, You two okay? You two okay? Goyle's loud, low rasp of a voice issued from his mouth. Yeah, came a deep grunt of crab from his right. Harry unlocked his door and stepped in front of the cracked mirror. Goyle stared back at it, back at him of dull of dull out of dull Detest eyes. Harry scratched his ear. So did Goyle. Harry opened... Uh, no, Harry. Ron opened the door. They stared at each other, except that he looked pale and shocked. Ron was distinguishable from Crab, indistinguishable from Crab, from the pudding bowl haircut and the long gorilla arms. This is unbelievable, said Ron, approaching the... Ron- approaching the mirror and prodding Crab's fat nose. Unbelievable. Oh, wait, it's supposed to be Crab's voice. Ugh. This is unbelievable, said Ron, approaching the mirror and Crab, and, and prodding Crab's flat nose. Unbelievable. We'd better get going, said Harry, loosening the, loosening the watch that was cutting into Goyle's thick wrist. We've still got to find out where the Slytherin common room is. I only hope we can find someone to follow. Ron, who had been gazing at Harry, said, You don't, you don't know how bizarre it is to see Goyle thinking. He banged on Hermione's door. Come on, we need to go. A high-pitched voice answered him. I, I don't think I'm going, going to come after all. You'll go. You go on without me. Hermione, we know Milton Bulstrode's ugly, but no one's going to know going to know it's you. No, really, I don't think I'll come. You two hurry up, you're wasting time. Harry looked at Harry looked at Ron, bewildered. That looks more like Goyle, said Ron. That looks more like Goyle, said Ron. That he, that's how he looks every time a teacher asks him a question. Hermione, are you okay? Said Harry through the door. Fine, I'm fine. Go on. Harry looked at his watch. Five of the 
precious 60 minutes had already passed. We'll meet you back here, all right, he said. Harry and Ron opened the door of the bathroom carefully, checked that the coast was clear, and set off. Don't swing your arms like that, Harry muttered to Ron. Crab holds him sort of stiff. How's this? Yeah, that's better. They went down. They went down the marble staircase. All they needed now was a Slytherin that they could follow to the Slytherin common room. But nobody. But there was nobody around. Any ideas? Muttered Harry. The Slytherins always come up, come up to breakfast from over there," said Ron, nodding to the entrance to the dungeons. The word, the words had barely left his mouth when a girl with long curly hair emerged emerged from the entrance. "Excuse me," said Ron, hurrying up to her. "We've forgotten the way to our common room." "I beg your pardon." said the girl stiffly. Our common room? I'm a Ravenclaw. She walked away, looking suspiciously back at them. Harry and Ron hurried down the stone steps into the darkness. Their footsteps echoing particularly loudly as Crab and Goriel's huge feet hit the floor. Feeling that this wasn't going to be easy, to be as easy as I hoped. The labyrinthine, the labyrinthine passages were deserted. <clears throat> they walked deeper and deeper under the school, constantly checking their watches to see how much time they had left. After a quarter of an hour, just when they were getting desperate, they heard a sudden movement ahead. Ha, said Ron excitedly. Excitedly, there's one of them now. The figure was emerging from the side room as they hurried nearer. However, their hearts sank. It wasn't a Slytherin. It was Percy. What are you doing down here? Said Ron, said Ron in surprise. Percy looked affronted. That, he said stiffly, is none of your business. It's crab, isn't it? What? Oh, yeah. Well, get off to your dormitories, said Percy sternly. It's not safe to go wandering around the dark corridors these days. You are, Ron pointed out. I, said Percy, drawing himself up, am a prefect. Nothing, nothing's about to attack me. A voice suddenly echoed behind Harry, behind Harry and Ron. Draco Malfoy was stro strolling towards them. And for the first time in his life, Harry was pleased to see him. There you are, he drawled, looking at them. Have you have you two been pigging out in the Great Hall all this time? I've been looking for you. I want to show you something really funny. Malfoy glanced witheringly at Percy. What are you doing down here, Weasley? he sneered. Percy looked outraged. You want to show a bit more respect to a school prefect, he said. I don't like your attitude. Malfoy sneered and motioned for Harry and Ron to follow him. 
Harry almost said something apologetic to Percy, but caught himself just in time. He and Ron hurried after Malfoy, who had just turned into the next page. That Peter Weasley. Percy, Ron corrected him automatically. Whatever, said Malfoy. I've noticed him sneaking around a lot lately. I bet I know what he's up to. He thinks he's going to catch Slytherin's heir single-handed. He gave a short laugh. Harry and Harry and Ron exchanged excited looks. Malfoy paused to stretch by a stretch of bare, damp stone wall. What's the password again? He asked. He said to Harry. Er, said Harry. Oh yeah, pure blood, said Malfoy, not listening. And the stone door concealed. The stone door concealed in the wall slid open. Malfoy marched through it. Harry and Harry and Ron followed him. The Slytherin common room was a long, low underground room with rough stone walls and a ceiling from which gra- and a ceiling from which round greenish lamps were hanging on chains. A fire was crackling under was crackling under greenish lamps. Wait, what are the dang it? Greenish lamps were hanging on chains. A fire was crackling under an elaborately carved mantelpiece ahead of them, and several Slytherins were silhouetted around, around it in high, in high-backed chairs. Wait here," said Malfoy to Harry and Ron, motioning them to, to a pair of empty chairs set from the fire, set back from the fire. "I'll go and get it. My father's just sent it to me." Wondering what Malfoy was going to show them. Harry and Ron sat down, doing their best to look at home. Malfoy came back a minute later, holding what looked like a newspaper clipping. He thrust it. He thrust it under Ron's nose. That'll give you a laugh, he said. Harry, Harry saw Ron's eyes widen in shock. He read the clipping quickly, gave it a very forced laugh, and handed it a very forced laugh. And handed it to Harry. It had been clipped out of the Daily Prophet, and it said, "Inquiry at the Ministry of Magic. Author Weasley, head of misuse of, Mug- of Muggle Artifacts Office, was today fined fifty galleons for bewitching a Muggle car." Mister Lucius Malfoy, the govern- a governor of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Witchcraft and Wizardry, where the enchanted car crashed earlier this year, called. Called today for Mr. Weasley's resignation. Weasley have, has brought the ministry to dis, into dispute, said Mr. Mal, Mr. Malfoy, told our reporter. He is clearly unfit to draw up our laws, and his ridiculous Muggle Protection Act should be scraped immediately. Should be scrapped immediately. Mr. Weasley was unavailable for a comment. Although his wife told the reporters to clear off, or she'd set the family ghoul on them. Well, well," said Malfoy impatiently, as Harry handed the clipping back to him. "Don't you think it's funny?" <laughs> said Harry bleakly. 
Arthur Weasley loves Muggles so much he should snap his Arthur Weasley loves Muggles so much he should snap his wand in half and go and go join them," said Malfoy scornfully. "You never knew the Weasleys were pure bloods by the way they behaved." Ron, or rather Crabbe's face, which was contorted, was fury. "What's up with you, Crabbe?" snapped Malfoy. "Stomach ache," Ron grunted. Well, go up to the hospital and give all those mudbloods a kick for me," said Malfoy, sniggering. "I know I'm, you know I'm surprised the Daily Prophet hasn't reported these all these attacks yet." He went on thoughtfully. "I suppose Dumbledore's trying to hush it all up. He'll be sacked if he doesn't if it doesn't stop soon. Father's always said old Dumbledore's the worst thing that ever happened to this place. He loves Muggleborns. A descend." He loves Muggleborns. A descendant, a decent headmaster, would never let slime like that creepy in. Malfoy started taking pictures with an imaginary camera and did a cruel but accurate impression of Colin. Potter, can I have your picture, Potter? Can I, can I, can I have your autograph? Can I lick your shoes, please, Potter? He dropped his hands and looked at Harry and Ron. What's the matter with you two? How many pages are left? What's the matter with you two? Far too late. Harry and Ron forced themselves to laugh, but Malfoy seemed satisfied. The half crab and Goyle were always slow on the uptake. St. Potter, the mudblood's friend, said Malfoy slowly. He's another he's another one with no proper wizard feeling, or he wouldn't go around with that jumped up Granger mudblood and people think jumped up with Granger with jumped up Granger mudblood and people think he's Slytherin's heir. Here and Ron waited on bated breath, but Malfoy was surely seconds away from telling them it was him. But then I wish I knew who it who it is, said Malfoy Petulancy? I don't know how to pronounce it. I could help them. Ron's jaw dropped so that Malfoy looked even more clueless than usual. Fortunately, Malfoy didn't notice. Harry, thinking fast, said, You must have some idea who's behind it all. You know I haven't, Goyle. How many times do I have to tell you? snapped Malfoy. And father won't tell me anything about the last time the chamber was opened either. Of course, it was 50 years ago. So it was before his time. But he knows all about it, and he says it that it was all kept quiet. It was all kept quiet, and it'll look suspicious if I know too much about it. But I know one thing. The last time the chamber of secrets was opened, a mudblood died. So I bet it's a matter of time before one of them's kill one of them's killed this time. I hope it's a I hope it's Granger, he said with relish. Ron was clenching Crab's gigantic fists. Feeling that it would be a bit of a giveaway if Ron punched Malfoy, Ron shot him a warning look. And said Do you know if the person who opened the chamber last time was caught? 
Oh, yeah. Whoever it was was expelled, said Malfoy. They pro they're probably still in Azkaban. Azkaban, said Harry puzzled. Azkaban, the wizard's prison, Goyle, said Malfoy, looking, looking at him in disbelief. Honestly, if you were any slower, you would be going backward. He shifted restless, restlessly in his chair and said, Father says always to keep my head down and let the air of Slytherin get on with it. He says the school needs writing, reading of the mudblood of all the mudblood filth, but not, but not to get mixed up in it. Of course, he's got a lot of, on his plate at the moment. You know how the Ministry of Magic raided our manor last week? Harry tried to force Goyle's dull face into a look of concern. Yeah, said Malfoy. Luckily, they didn't find much. Father's got some some very valuable dark art stuff. But luckily, we've got our own secret chamber under the drawing room floor. Oh, said Ron. Said Ron. Malfoy looked at him. So did Harry. Ron blushed. Even his hair was turning red. His nose was always was also slowly lengthening. Their hour was up. Ron was turning back into himself in front of and from the look of horror he was suddenly giving Harry, he must be too. They both jumped to their feet. Medicine for my stomach, Ron grunted without and without further ado, they sprinted the length of the Slytherin common room, hurtled themselves out of the stone wall, and dashed up the passage, hoping against hope that Malfoy hadn't noticed anything. Harry could could feel his feet slipping around in Goyle's huge shoes, and had to hoist his robes, and had to hoist up his robes as he shrank. They crashed up the steps into the dark entrance hall, which was full of muffled, pounding, coming from the closet, pounding, coming from the closet where they had locked Crab and Goyle. Leaving their shoes outside the closet door, they sprinted. They sprinted in their socks up the marble staircase towards Morning Myrtle's bathroom. Well, it wasn't a complete waste of time, said Ron. Ron panted, closing the bathroom door behind them. I know we, I know we still haven't found out who's doing the attack, but I'm going to write to Dad tomorrow t to tell him to check under the Malfoy's drawing room. Harry checked his face in the cracked mirror. He was back in... To his, he was back to normal. He put his glasses on as Ron hammered on the door of Hermione's stall. Hermione, come out. We've got loads to tell you. Go away, Hermione squeaked. Harry and Ron looked at each other. What's the matter, said Ron. We must be back to normal by now. We are. But Moaning Myrtle glided suddenly through the stall door. Harry had never seen her look so happy. Till you see, she said. It's awful. He heard the lock slide back, and Hermione emerged, sobbing, her robes pulled up over her head. What's up? said Ron uncertainly. You still got Mills Millicent's nose or something. Hermione let her robes fall, and Ron backed into the sink. Her face was covered in black fur. Her eyes turned yellow. Her eyes tur had turned yellow, 
and there were long, pointed ears poking through her hair. It was cat hair, she howled, but Millicent Bulstrode must have a cat. And a potion isn't in potion. And the, the potion isn't supposed to, isn't supposed to be used for animal transformations. Uh oh, said Ron. The LVT is something dreadful, said Myrtle happily. It's okay, Hermione. It's okay, Hermione, said Harry quickly. I'll take you up to the hospital wing. Madame Pomfrey never asked, never asked too many questions. It took a long time to persuade Hermione to leave the bathroom. Moaning Myrtle sped them, sped them on their way with a hearty guffaw. Wait till everyone finds out you've got a tail. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Chapter Thirteen. A very secret diary. Hermione remained in the hospital wing for several weeks. There was a flurry of rumor about her disappearance when the rest of the school arrived back from from their Christmas holidays. Because, of course, everyone thought that she had been attacked. So many students filed past the hospital wing trying to catch a glimpse of her that Madame Pomfrey took out, took out her curtains again and placed them around Hermione's bed to spare her the shame of being, of being seen with a furry face. Harry and Ron went to visit her every evening. When the new term started, they, they brought her each day's homework. If I had sprouted whiskers, I, if I sprouted whiskers, I'd take a break from work, said Ron, tipping a stack of books onto Hermione's bedside table one evening. Don't be silly, Ron. I've got to keep it up, said Hermione briskly. Her spirits were greatly improved by the fact that all her hair had gone from her face and her eyes were slowly turning back to brown. I don't suppose you've got any new leads, she added in a whisper so that Madame Pomfrey couldn't hear her. Nothing, said Harry gloomily. I was so sure it was Malfoy, said Ron. But for, for about the hundredth, for about the hundredth time, about the hundredth time. What's that? Said Harry, pointing something gold sticking out from under Hermione's pillow. Just a get well card. Said Hermione hastily, trying to poke it out of sight, but Ron was too quick for her. He pulled, he pulled it out and flipped it open and read aloud. To Miss Granger, wishing you a very speedy recovery from your concerned teacher, Professor Gilderoy Lockhart, Order of Merlin, third class, honorary member of Dark Force, member of the Dark Force Defense League, and five-time winner of Witch Weekly's Most Charming Smile Award. Ron looked up at Hermione, disgusted. You sleep with this under your pillow? But Hermione was spared answering by Madame Pomfrey sweeping over, over her, sweeping over with her evening dose of medicine. Is Lockhart the most? Is Lockhart the most smarmiest bloke you've ever met, or what? Ron said to Harry as they left the infirmary and started up the stairs toward Gryffindor Tower. 
Snape had given them so much homework. Harry thought he was likely to be sixth, to be in the sixth year before he finished it. Ron was just saying he'd wished he had he he had asked Hermione how many rat tails he was supposed to add into a hair raising potion when an angry outburst from the floor above reached their ears. That's Filch, Harry muttered as they hurried up the stairs and paused out of and paused out of sight, listening hard. You don't think someone else has been attacked, said Ron tensely. They stood still, their heads inclined towards Filch's voice, Filch's voice, which sounded quite hysterical. Even more work for me. Mopping all night, I haven't got like I haven't got enough to do. No, this is this is the final straw. I'm going to Dumbledore. His footsteps receded along the out of sight corridor along the out of sight corridor and they heard a distant door slam. They poked their heads around the corner. Filch had clearly had been manning his usual lookout post. And they were they were once again on the spot where Mrs. Norris had been attacked. They saw they saw at a glance what Filch had been shouting at shouting about. A great flood of water stretched over half the corridor, and it looked as though it was still seeping from under the door of Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. Now that Filch was had stopped shouting, they could hear Myrtle's wails echoing off the bathroom walls. Now what's up with her? said Ron. Let's go and see, said Harry, holding their robes over over their ankles and stepped through the great wash of water to the door bearing its out of order sign. Ignored it, as always, and entered. Moaning Myrtle was crying if possible, louder and harder than ever before. She seemed to be hiding to be hiding down her usual toilet. It was dark in the bathroom because all the candles had been extinguished in a great wash rush of water that had left both walls and floor soaking wet. Is that Myrtle? said Harry. Who's that? Girl gurgled Myrtle miserably. Come to throw something else at me. Harry waded across to, to her stall and said, Why would I throw something at you? Don't ask me. Myrtle shouted, emerging with a wave of yet more water, which splashed onto the already sopping floor. Here I am, minding my own business. If someone thinks it's funny to throw a book at me. But I can't hurt you if someone throws something at you, said Harry reasonably. I mean, it'd just go right through you, wouldn't it? He had said the wrong thing. Myrtle puffed herself up and shrieked. Let's all throw books at Myrtle because she can't feel it. Ten poison usually go through her stomach. Fifty poison goes through her head. Oh, ha ha, ha ha ha! What a lovely game! I don't. What a lovely game! I don't think. Who threw it at you anyway? 
asked Terry. I don't know. I was just sitting on the U-bend, thinking about death, and it fell right through the top of my head, said Myrtle, glaring at him. Glaring at them. Someone there got washed out. Harry and Ron looked under the sink where Myrtle was pointing. A small, thin book lay there. It had a shabby black cover and was wet, and was as wet as everything else in the bathroom. Harry stepped forward to pick it up, but Ron suddenly flung out his arm to hold him back. What? said Harry. Are you crazy? said Ron. It could be dangerous. Dangerous? said Harry, laughing. Come off it. How could it be dangerous? You'd be surprised, said Ron. You'd be surprised, said Ron, who was looking apprehensively at the book. Some of the some of the books the ministries confiscated. Dad told me there. Dad told me there was one that burned your eyes out. And everyone who read sonnets of sorcerers spoke in limericks for the rest of their lives. Some old witch and in. Some old witch in Bath had book, had a book. What? Uh-huh. Some old witch in Bath had a book that you could never stop reading. You just had to wander around. You just had to wander around with your nose in it, trying to do everything, trying to do everything one-handed. And all right, I've got the point," said Harry. The little book lay on the floor. Nondescript and soggy. Well, we won't find out unless we look at it, he said. And he ducked around Ron to pick it up off the floor. Harry saw at once that it was a diary. And and the faded year on the cover told him it was 50 years old. He opened it eagerly. On the first page, he he could make out. On the first page, he could just make out the name T. M. Riddle in the mud in smudged ink. Hang on," said Ron, who who had approached cautiously, who had approached cautiously and was looking over Harry's shoulder. I know not. I know that name, T. M. Riddle. Gotten a gotten a word for third. Special services to the school 50 years ago. How on earth, how on earth did you know that? Said Harry in amazement. Because Spoke made me polish the shield about 50 times in detention, said Ron resentfully. That was the one I burped, I burped slugs on all, burped slugs all over. If you... If you wipe slime off your name for an hour, you'd remember it too. You, uh, if you, if you'd wipe slime off a name for an hour, you, you, you would have remembered it too. Harry peeled the wet pages apart. They were completely blank. There wasn't the faintest trace of writing on any of them. Not even Aunt Mabel's birthday or Dennis half past three. He never wrote in it, said Harry, disappointed. 
I wonder why someone wanted to flush it away, said Ron curiously. Harry turned to the back of the cover and saw printed and saw printed saw the printed name of a of a variety store on Vauxhall Road, London. He must have been Muggleborn, said Harry thoughtfully, to have bought a diary from Vauxhall Road. Well, it's not much use to you, to you, said Ron. He dropped his voice. Fifty points if you can get it through Myrtle's nose. Harry, however, pocketed it. Hermione left the hospital wing, de-whiskered, tailless, and fur and fur-free. At the beginning of February, on her first evening back in the Gryffindor Tower, Harry showed her T. M. Riddle's diary and told her the story about that, how they find it, found it. Ooh, it might have hidden powers, said Hermione enthusiastically, taking the diary and looking at it closely. If it's if it has, it's hiding them very well, said Hermione. It's hiding them very well, said said Ron. Maybe it's shy. I don't know. I don't know. Why don't you chuck it, Harry? I wish I knew why someone did try and chuck it, said Harry. I wouldn't mind knowing how Riddle got an award for special services to Hogwarts either. It's better than anything, said, said Ron. Maybe he got 30 OWLs or saved his teacher from a giant squid. From the giant squid. Maybe he murdered Myrtle. That would have done everybody a favor. That would have been... Tough. Lost my place. Maybe he murdered Myrtle. That would have done everyone a favor. But Harry couldn't tell from the arrested look on Hermione's face that she was thinking what he was thinking. What? Said Ron, looking from one to the other. Well, the Chamber of Secrets was opened 50 years ago, wasn't it? He said, that's what Malfoy said. He said, that's what Malfoy said. Yeah, said Ron slowly. And this diary is 50 years old, said Hermione, tapping it excitedly. So? Oh, Ron, wake up, snapped Hermione. We know the person who opened the Chamber of Secrets last time was expelled 50 years ago. We know T.M. Riddle got an award for special services to the school 50 years ago. Well... What if Riddle got a special award for catching the heir of Slytherin? His diary would probably tell us everything there were there would probably tell us everything. Where the chamber is and how to open it. And what sort of creature lives in it. The person who's behind the attacks the person who's behind the attacks this time won't wouldn't want that lying around, would they? That is a brilliant theory, Hermione, said Hermione said Ron, with just one tiny little flaw. There is nothing written in the diary. But Hermione was pulling out her, pulling her wand out of the bag. It might be invisible ink, she whispered. 
He tapped the diary three times and said, Apericium. Apericium. Nothing happened. Undaunted. Nothing happened. Undaunted. Undetached. Undetained. Hermione shoved her hand back into her bag, pulled out what appeared to be a bright red eraser, and appeared what to be a bright red eraser. It's a revealer. I got it in Diagon Alley, she said. She rubbed it hard on January 1st. Nothing happened. I'm telling you, there's nothing to find in there, said Ron. Riddle just got a diary for Christmas and couldn't be bothered couldn't be bothered filling it. Harry couldn't exp- explain, even to himself, why he didn't just why he didn't just throw Riddle's diary away. <sighs> the fact was that even though he knew the diary the diary was blank, he kept absentmindedly picking it up and turning the pages as though there were it were a story he wanted to finish. While Harry was sure he never heard the name T. M. Riddle before, it still seemed to mean something to him. Almost as though Riddle was a friend. Almost as though Riddle was a friend. He'd want was a friend he had he had when he was very small. And had, and had half forgotten, but this was absurd. Harry had n- never had friends before Hogwarts. Dudley made sure of that. Nevertheless, Harry was determined to find out more to find more about Riddle. So the next day at break, so the next day at break, he headed to the trophy room to examine Riddle's special award. Accompanied by by an interested Hermione and and a thoroughly thoroughly unconvinced Ron, he told them that he'd seen enough in the trophy room. That he had seen enough in the trophy room to last a lifetime. And I am going to take a little break here because I have to go to the bathroom. And we're back. Riddles burnished gold shield was tucked away in a corner cabinet. It didn't carry details of why it had been given to him. Good thing, too, or it'd be bigger and I'd still be polishing it, said Ron. However, they did find Riddle's name on an old medal for magical merit and on a list of old head boys. He sounds like Percy, said Ron, wrinkling his nose in disgust. Prefect, head boy, Probably the top of our class. You say that like it's a bad. You say that like it's a bad thing," said Hermione in a slightly hurt voice. The sun had now begun, had now begun to shine weakly on Hogwarts again. Inside the castle, the mood had grown grown more hopeful. There had been no more attacks since those on Justin and nearly had the snick, and Madame Pomfrey was so was pleased to report. That the mandrakes were becoming moody and secretive, meaning that they were fast leaving. That they were fast leaving their childhood. The moment, the moment their acne. The moment their acne clears up, they'll be ready for repotting again. 
Harry heard her telling Filch kindly one afternoon. And after that, it won't be long till we're cutting them up and stewing them. You'll have Mrs. Norris back in no time. Perhaps the heir of Slytherin had lost his or her nerve, thought Harry. It must be getting riskier and riskier to open the Chamber of Secrets with the school on so alert and suspicious. Perhaps the monster, whatever it was, was now even settling itself down to hibernate for another fifty years. Ernie McMillan of Hufflepuff didn't take this didn't take this cheerful view. He was still convinced that Harry was the guilty one, and that he had given himself away at the dueling club. Peeves was wasn't helping the matters. He kept popping up in the crowded corridor singing Oh, Potter, you are, you rotter. Now with a dance routine to match. Gilderoy Lockhart seemed to think himself, to think he himself had made the attacks stop. He overheard him telling Professor McGonagall, Professor McGonagall, the while the Gryffindors were lining up for transfiguration. I don't think there, I don't think there will be any more trouble, Minivira, he said. Tapping his nose knowingly and winking. I think the chamber has been locked up for good this time. The culprit must have known it's only a matter of time before I caught him. Rather than sen- rather sensible to stop now before I can ha- come before I came down hard on him. You know what the school needs now is a moral booster. Wash away the memories of last term. I won't say any more just now, but I think I know just the thing. He tapped his nose again and strode off. Lockhart's idea of a moral boost of a moral booster became clear at breakfast time on February fourteenth. Harry hadn't had much sleep because of the late running Quidditch practice the night before. And he hurried down to the great hall, slightly late. He thought for a moment that he'd walked through the wrong doors. The walls were all covered in lurid purple, lurid pink flowers. Worse still, heart-shaped confetti was falling from the pale blue ceiling. Harry went over to the Gryffindor table, where Ron was sitting looking sickened, and Hermione seemed to be, have been overcome with giggles. What's going on? Harry asked them, sitting down and wiping confetti off his bacon. Ron pointed at the teacher's table, apparently too disgusted to speak. Lockhart was wearing lurid pink robes to match the decorations. He was waving for silence. The teachers on either side of him were looking stony-faced. From where he sat, Harry could see a muscle going, could see a muscle going on Professor McGonagall's cheek. Snape looked as though someone had just fed him a large beaker of Skelligrill. Happy Valentine's Day, he shouted. And may I thank the 46 people who have sent... And may I thank the 46 people who so far have sent me cards. Yes, I have taken the liberty of arranging this little surprise for you all. And it doesn't end here. Lockhart clapped his hands. And as... And through the doors to to the entrance hall marched a dozen surly-looking dwarves. Not just any dwarves, however. 
Lockhart had them all wearing golden wings and carrying harps. My friendly little card-carrying cupids, screamed Lockhart. They will be roving around the school today, delivering your valentines. When the fun doesn't stop here, I'm sure my colleagues will want to enter the spirit of the... Will, will want to enter into the spirit of the occasion. Why not ask Professor Snape to show you... To show you how to whip up a love potion, and while you're at Professor, and while you're at it, Professor Flitwick knows more, more in tracing enchantments than any wizard I've ever met. The sly old dog, Professor Flitwick buried his face in his hands. Snape was looking as though the first person, looking as though the first person, Professor Snape was looking as though the first person. To ask him for a love potion would be forced fed poison. Please, Hermione. Please, Hermione, tell me you weren't one of the 46, said Ron as they left the Great Hall for the first lesson. Hermione suddenly became very interested in searching her bag for her schedule and didn't answer. All, along, all day long, the dwarves kept barging up barging into the classes to deliver valentines to any to the annoyance of the teachers to the annoyance of the all day long the dwarves kept barging into their classes to deliver valentines to the to deliver valentines to the annoyance of the teachers okay. to the annoyance of the teachers and late that afternoon, as the Gryffindors were walking, walking up Fifth Charms, one of the one of the dwarves caught up with Harry. "Oi, you, Harry Potter!" he shouted. Par a particularly grim-looking dwarf, elbowing people out of the way to get to Harry, hot all over at the at the thought of being given a Valentine. Being her hot all over at the thought of being given a valentine in front of the line of first years, which happened to include Ginny Weasley. Harry tried to escape. The dwarf, however, cut his way through the crowd by kicking people in the shins and reached him before he'd gone two paces. Got a musical message to deliver to Harry Potter, to Harry Potter, in person, he said. Pointing his heart in a threatening sort of way. Not here, Freddy hissed, trying to escape. Stay still, grunted the dwarf, grabbing hold of Harry's bag and pulling him back. Let me go, Harry snarled, tugging. With a loud, ripping noise, his bag split in two. His books, wand, parchment, and quill spilled onto the floor. And his ink bottle smashed, smashed over everything. Harry scrambled around, trying to pick it all up before the dwarf started singing, causing some, causing something of a holdup in the corridor. What's going on here? What's going on here? Press, no, that's not press. What's going on here? Came the cold, drawing voice of Draco Malfoy. Harry started suffering. Stuffing everything feverishly into his ripped bag, desperate to get away before Malfoy could hear his musical valentine. What was all the commotion? said another familiar voice. 
as Percy Weasley arrived. Losing his head, Harry tried to make a run for it, but the dwarf seized him around the knees and brought him crashing to the floor. Right, he said, sitting on Harry's ankles. Here's your singing valentine. He's always pretty. His eyes are as green as Frescopal Cove, his hair is as dark as a blackboard. I wish he was mine, he's really divine, the hero who, con who conquered the Dark Lord. Harry would have given all the gold at Green and Gringotts to evaporate on the spot, trying, trying violently not to, to laugh along with everyone else. He'd gotten, he got up, his feet numb from the weight of the dwarf as Percy Weasley did the best to disperse the crowd, some of whom were crying with mirth. With mirth. Off you go, off you go. The bell rang five minutes ago. Off to class now, he said, shooing some younger students away. And you, Malfoy. Harry glanced over, saw, Harry glancing over, saw Malfoy stop and snatch up something, leering to show Crab and Goyle. Harry realized that, he, that he'd got Riddle's diary. Give that back, said Harry quietly. Wonder what Potter's written in this, said Malfoy, who obviously hadn't noticed the year the year on the cover and thought he'd thought he'd had Harry's own diary. A hush fell over the onlookers. Ginny was staring from the diary to Harry, looking terrified. Hand it over, Malfoy, said Percy friendly. When i when I've had a look said Malfoy, waving the diary tauntingly at Harry. Percy said, as a school prefect. But Harry had lost his temper. He pulled out his wand and shouted, Expelliarmus! And just as Snape had, and just as Snape disarmed Lockhart, so Malfoy, and just as Snape disarm, had disarmed Lockhart, So Malfoy found So Malfoy found the diary shooting out of his hand and into the air. Ron, grinning broadly, caught it. Harry, said Percy loudly, no magic in the corridors. I'll have I'll have to report this on you know. But Harry didn't care. But Harry didn't care. He was one up on Malfoy. And that was worth five points from Gryffindor any day. Malfoy was looking furious as Ginny passed him to enter her classroom. He yelled spitefully at her. I don't think your Potter liked your valentine much. Ginny covered her face with her hands and ran into class. Snarling, Ron pulled out his wand too, but Harry pulled him away. Ron didn't need to spend the whole, the whole charms belching slugs. It wasn't until they reached Professor Flitwick's class that Harry noticed something rather odd about Riddle's diary. All his other books were drenched in scarlet ink. The diary, however, had was as clean as it had been before the ink bottle had smashed over it, all over it. He tried to point this out to Ron, but Ron was having trouble with his wand again. Large purple bubbles were blossoming out of the end, and he wasn't much interested. And he wasn't much interested in anything else. Harry went to 
went to bed before anyone else in his dormitory that night. Wait, how many pages are left? Still quite a few pages left. Okay. Harry went to bed before anyone else in his dormitory that night. This was partly because he didn't think he could stand Fred and George singing. His eyes are as green as pickled toad one more time. And particularly, particularly, partly because he wanted to examine Riddle's diary again. And he knew that Ron thought he was wasting his time. And knew that Ron thought he was wasting his time. Harry sat on his board poster and flicked through the blank pages. Not one of which had a trace of scarlet ink on it. He pulled out a new bottle. He then pulled out a new bottle of that pulled a new bottle out of his bedside cabinet, dipped his quill into it, and dropped a blot onto the first page of the diary. The ink shone brightly on the paper for a second, and then, as though it had been sucked into the page, vanished. Excited, Harry loaded his, up his quill a second time and wrote, My name is Harry Potter. The words shone momentarily on the page, as they too sunk without a trace, and then at last something happened. Oozing back onto the page, in his very own ink, came the words Harry had never written. Hello, Harry Potter. My name is Tom Riddle. How did you come by my diary? These words, too, faded away, but not before Harry had started to scribble back. Someone tried to flush it down the toilet. He waited eagerly for Riddle's reply. Luckily that I, reco- luckily that I recorded my memories. Lucky that I recorded my memories in some more lasting way than ink. But I always knew there would be those who would not want this diary read. What do you mean? Harry scrawled, blotting on the pet, blotting on the page in his excitement. Blotting on the page in his excitement. I mean that this diary holds memories of terrible things, things that were covered up, things that happened at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Look where I am now, Harry wrote quickly. I'm at Hogwarts, and horrible stuff has been happening. Do you know about the Chamber of Secrets? Harry's heart, his heart hammering, Riddle's reply came quickly, came as quickly as he had written it. Riddle's reply came quickly, came quickly. His writing became untidier, as though he was hurrying to tell all that he knew. Of course I know about the Chamber of Secrets. In my day, they told us it was a legend, that it did not exist. But this was a lie. In my fifth year, the chamber was opened. The monster attacked several students, finally killing one. I caught the person who, who'd opened the chamber, and he was expelled. But the headmaster, Professor Dippet, ashamed that such a thing had happened at Hogwarts, forbade me to tell the truth. The story was given out, was given out the, that the girl had died in a freak accident. They gave me a nice, shiny, engraved trophy for my trouble, and warned me to keep my mouth shut. But I knew it could happen again. The monster lived on, and no one, and the one who had the power to release it, was not in prison. Harry, nearly upset that his ink, 
Harry nearly upset his ink bottle in a hurry to write back. It's happening again now. There have been three attacks and no one seems to know who's behind them. Who was it last time? I can show you if you like, came Riddle's reply. You don't have to take my word for it. I can take you inside my memory. You don't have to take my word for it. I can take you inside my memory the night when I caught him. Harry hesitated, his quill suspended over the diary. What did Riddle mean? How could he be taken inside someone else's memory? He glanced nervously around the door of the dormitory, which was growing dark. When he looked back at the diary, he saw fresh words. Form he saw fresh words forming. Let me show you. Harry paused for a fraction of a second, and then wrote in two letter and wrote two letters. O K. The pages. The pages of the diary began to blow as though it had caught high wind, stopping halfway through the month of June. Mouth hanging open, Harry saw that a, that a little square for June 13th seemed to have turned into a minuscule television, television screen. His hands trembling slightly, he raised the book and pressed and to press his eye against the little window. Before he knew it, knew what was happening. He was tilting forward. The window was widening. He felt his body leave his bed, and he was pitched headfirst through the opening of the page into a whirl of color and shadow. He felt his feet hit the solid ground and stood shaking as the blurred shapes around him came suddenly to, into focus. He knew immediately where he was. This circular room with the sleeping portraits was Dumbledore's office. But it wasn't Dumbledore who was sitting behind the desk. A wizened, frail-looking wizard, bald except for a few wisps of white hair, was reading a letter by candlelight. Harry had never seen this man before. I'm sorry, he said shakily. I don't mean to butt in. I don't mean to butt in. But the wizard didn't look up. Harry continued to read, frowning slightly. Harry drew nearer to his desk and stammered, Er, I'll just go, shall I? Still, the wizard ignored him. He didn't seem to have heard him. Thinking that the wizard must be deaf, Harry raised his voice. Sorry I disturbed you. I'll go now, he half shouted. The wizard folded up the letter with a sigh, stood up and walked past Harry without glancing at him, and went to draw the curtains at his window. The sky outside the window was was ruby red. It seemed to be <clears throat> seemed to be sunset. The wizard went back to the desk, sat down, and twiddled his thumbs, watching the door. Harry looked around the office. No fogs, the phoenix, no whirling no whirling several silver contraptions. This was Hogwarts as Riddle had known it. It meaning that this unknown wizard was headmaster, not Dumbledore, and he, Harry, was a little more was little more than phantom, completely wait, was little more than a phantom, completely invisible to people of fifty years ago. There was a knock on the office door. Enter, said the old wizard in a feeble voice. 
A boy, about 16, entered, taking off his pointed hat. A silver prefect's badge was glinting on his chest. He was much taller than Harry, but he too had jet black hair. Ah, Riddle, said the headmaster, said the headmaster. You wanted to see me, Professor Dippet, said Riddle. He, he looked nervous. Sit down, said Dippet. I've just been reading the letter you sent me. Oh, said Riddle. He sat down, gripping his hands together very tightly. My dear boy, said Dippet kindly. I cannot possibly let you stay at school over the summer. Surely, surely you want to go home for the holidays? No, said Riddle at once. I'd much rather stay at Hogwarts rather than go back to that. To that. You live in a muggle orphanage during the holidays, I believe, said Dippet curiously. Yes, sir, said Dippet, reddening slightly. You are muggle-born? Half-blood, sir, said Riddle. Muggle father, which mother? And both of you, and are both of your parents? My mother died just before, after I was born, sir. They told me that, that the orphanage she lived. They told me, at the orphanage, at the orphanage she lived just long enough to name me, Tom after my father, Marvolo after my grandfather. Dippet. Dippet clucked his tongue sympathetically. The thing is, Tom, he sighed. Special arrangements might have been made for you, but in the in the current circumstances, you mean all these attacks, sir," said Riddle, and Harry's heart leapt as he moved closer, scared of missing anything. "Precisely," said the headmaster. "Said the headmaster, my dear boy, you must you must see how foolish it would be of me, it would be of me to allow you to remain at the castle when term when term ends." particularly in light of the recent tragedy, the death of that poor girl. You will be safer, you will be safer, by far, at your own orphanage, at your orphanage. As a matter of fact, the Ministry of Magic is, is even now talking about closing the school. We are no longer locating the, er, we are no nearer locating the, er, source of all this unpleasantness. Riddle's eyes had widened. Sir, if the person was caught, if all, if it all stopped, what do you mean? What do you mean? Said Dippet, with a squeak in his voice, sitting up in his chair. Riddle, do you mean you know something about these attacks? No, sir, said Riddle, said Riddle quickly. But Harry was sure it was the same sort of no that he let him, that he himself had given Dumbledore. Dippet sank back, looking faintly disappointed. You may go, Tom. Riddle slid off his chair and slouched out of the room. Harry followed him. Harry followed him. Down the moving spiral staircase they went. Wait, where did this? Down the moving spiral staircase they went, emerging next to the gargoyle in the darkening corridor. Riddle stopped, and so, and so did Harry, watching him. Harry could tell that Riddle was doing some serious thinking. 
He was biting his lip, his forehead furrowed. Then, as though he had suddenly reached a decision, he hurried off, Harry gliding noisily behind him. They didn't see another they didn't see another person until they reached the entrance hall. When a tall wizard with a long sweeping auburn hair and a beard called to Riddle from the marble staircase. What are you doing what are you doing wandering around this late, Tom? Harry gaped at the wizard. It was none other than a fifty wait. What are you doing wandering around this late, Tom? Harry gaped at the wizard. It was none other than a fifty-year-younger Dumbledore. I had to see the headmaster, sir, said Riddle. Well, hurry off to bed, said Dumbledore, giving Riddle exactly the kind of penetrating stare Harry knew so well. Best not roam around the corridors these days. Not since, he sighed heavily, bade, Ribble, bade Riddle good night. And strode off. Riddle watched him walk. Riddle watched him walk out of sight, and then, moving quickly, moving quickly, headed straight down the stone steps into the dungeon. Steps to the dungeons with Harry in hot pursuit. But Har- but to Harry's disappointment, Riddle led him into a hidden passageway. To a hidden passageway or a secret tunnel. But to wait, what? But to Harry's disappointment, Riddle led him not into a hidden passageway or a secret tunnel, into the very dungeon of which Harry had potions with Snape. The torch, the torches hadn't been lit, and when Riddle pushed the door almost closed, the torches hadn't been lit. When Riddle pushed the door almost closed, Harry could just see him standing standing stock still by the door, watching the passage outside. It felt to Harry that they were that they were there for at least an hour. All he could see was the figure of Riddle at the door, staring through the crack, waiting like a statue. Just when Harry had stopped feeling expectant and tense and started wishing he could return to the present, he heard something move beyond the door. Someone was creeping along the passage. He heard whoever he heard whoever it was pass the dungeon where he and Riddle were hidden. Riddle, quieter, quieter than a shadow, edged through the door and followed. Harry, tiptoeing behind him, forgetting that he couldn't forgetting that he couldn't be heard for perhaps 5 minutes they followed the footsteps until riddle stopped suddenly and his head inclined in the direction of new noises harry heard a door creak open and then someone speaking in a hoarse whisper come on got to get you out of here come on now in the box there was something familiar about that voice Riddle suddenly jumped around the corner. Harry stepped out behind him. He could see the dark outline of a huge boy who was crouching in front of the open door. 
a very large fox next to it. Evening, Rubus, said Riddle sharply. The boy slammed the door and shut and stood up. What are you do what are you doing down here, Tom? Riddle stepped closer. It's all over, he said. I'm going to turn you in, Rubius. They're talking about closing Hogwarts. The attacks if the attacks don't stop. What do you I don't think you meant to kill anyone. But the monsters but monsters don't make good pets. I suppose I suppose you just let it out for exercise and It never killed no one, said the large boy, backing up against the closed door. From behind him, Harry could hear a funny rustling and clicking. Come on, Rubius, said Riddle, moving yet closer. The dead girl's parents will be here tomorrow. The least Hogwarts can do is make sure the thing that killed her daughter is slaughtered. It wasn't him, roared the boy, his voice echoing in the dark passage. He wouldn't, he never. Stand aside, said Riddle, drawing out his wand. A spell lit the corridor with a sudden flaming light. The door behind the large boy flew open with such force and knocked him into the wall opposite. And out came something that made Harry let out a long, piercing scream, unheard by anyone. A vast, slow, a vast, low-slung, hairy body and a tangle of black legs. A gleam and a tangle of black legs. A gleam of many eyes and a pair of razor-sharp pincers. Riddle had raised his wand again. But he was too late. The thing bowed him over and scuttled away, tearing up the corridor and out of sight. Riddle scrambled to his feet, looking after it. He raised his wand, but the huge boy leapt, leapt on him, seized his wand, and threw him back down, yelling, No! The scene whirled. The darkness became complete. Harry felt himself falling with a crash, and he landed thread eagled on the four-poster in the Gryffindor dormitory, Riddle's diary laying open on his stomach. Before he had time to regain his breath, before he had time to regain his breath, the dormitory door opened as Ron came in. There you are, he said. Harry sat up. He was sweating and shaking. What's up? said Ron, looking at him with concern. It was Hagrid, it was Hagrid Ron. Hagrid opened the Chamber of Secrets 50 years ago. This has been the Very Hairy Podcast. I hope you enjoyed our double chapter episode. Bye-bye.